Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Eda, the founder and CEO of Lassie. Eda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and for having me on the show. It is a pleasure, Ed, and you, you have a super nice uh, career. You have been uh, in the music industry, then you evolved into, into McKinsey, also into equity, uh, a very well-known uh, investment fund, and, and now starting your own uh, VC-backed company in the insurance and pet insurance uh, arena. But for the ones that didn't have the, the, the pleasure to, to get to know you, it would be great to, to get a bit more about your background and, uh, and then how, how it all started to, to decide to, to start Lassie. Yes, of course. So as you mentioned, I have um, both the background in the music industry where I had the luxury of being super creative. But then after business school, I went a little bit in the other direction and tested my analytical side, you know, worked at McKinsey and then did investment at DQT. But I felt like I'm both creative and analytical. I want to be able to use both those sides. And um, um, in my family, we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, people starting smaller or middle-sized company, not easy back, but still it's been in my family. So right. it always felt natural so um i felt like i wanted to get closer to the operations where the magic happened i felt like i got a little bit too much into the spreadsheets and the powerpoint which is fun but you also want to make the plans happen while you plan them you also want to make the budget happen or make the plans happen so i was very clear that i wanted to start my own company but the question was really what i was going to do but um I realized for me that I needed to find, I needed to do something that I was truly passionate. And the idea was just in front of me. Like I spent so much time and energy and also money on my pets. Um, <laughs> I have um, a dog and a horse and I've been competing a lot um, with them. And, and, and my mom's a veterinary. So that's really how Lassie started because I realized that I had a big advantage in my life that was my mom. My mom was always there um, by mm-hmm. my side. I could always call her, ask for advice. If my, one of my pets was sick, how to treat this, how to do this, right. which means that our six, our pets was very rarely sick mm-hmm. and we didn't really have to use our insurance. And growing up, I thought that was the norm. I thought, you know, like no one has sick pets. No one needs to use their insurance. Like right. that's not a thing. That was uh, your world. <laughs> world and then I realized ah but that's not everyone else's world that's just my, <laughs> my world because I had my mom so my whole idea was to bring my mom out to the masses out to everyone else to democratize her knowledge <laughs> to create a pet insurance and uh, a pet super app that helps you to keep your pet healthy like a little bit like having my mom in your phone guiding you along the way because I felt like there's so many injuries and sicknesses that could have been prevented but people don't really know how to prevent them. So then they end up spending lots of money on fixing fixing that sickness, but also it's very emotional to see your pet sick. So right. we wanted to break the chain of insurance being reactive, instead be proactive and work preventively. So um, that's how uh, Lassie started, because um, we have, just like everyone else, we have super good terms and conditions, but then we are, one digital but two that's our core usp preventive so in our app you will get guides and recommendations on how to take care of your pet daily you collect points and you can actually get a cheaper insurance price so it's really a we say it's a triple win because for the customers you get a cheaper price but also healthier pets for Mm -hmm. us we get kind of a better profitability but we also get more engage customers who we are in contact with almost every day instead of many insurance companies just talk with their uh, insurance uh, customers you know um yearly when there's a renewal or when there's a claim so yeah in short um sorry i've been blabbering for a long time here now (laughs) 
No, sounds amazing. And that, that's a, a great story. And it helps to understand uh, how it all started and, and, and the great uh, background. Yeah. Uh, and I, maybe I can just add that, of course, yeah. that was that was just the start of why I started Luffy. Then there was, um, I realized very early on that you want to do this with a team. Like you don't want to build a company right. on your own. So I very early set out to find someone who was an expert on product and tech who could build this mm -hmm. uh, super app, but also someone who was an expert on pet and pet insurance who could tell us right. what content, how the terms and conditions, how the product should actually be. So I was super lucky to early on find uh, Sophie Wilkinson, who has been former head of pet insurance at uh, PNC, one of the leading players uh, in the Nordics, and Johan Jonsson, who's been the full tech developer for Unicorn, of course, like Spotify and King. And actually that week he just actually got a puppy. So it was very stars aligned scenario there. <laughs> and, and and that's great innovation coming from Stockholm, that we didn't say. Uh, everything started yeah. in Stockholm and now expanding uh, across Europe, right? Yeah. Uh, namely uh, Germany, but we will talk about it uh, later on the show on, on the international uh, expansion chapter that we always love to, um, to discuss. Uh, and that's, that's great what you are talking about being reactive, uh, not being reactive, but being proactive. And there is something that we've been discussing so much in Digital Elf and, um, and, and uh, Human Elf, and that we have not been working also on on direction of uh, of pet elf. Uh, how did you find out that the timing and and the differentiation might be right uh, now, right? Because this is a long discussion that we had, especially even discussing about humans, and uh, and and the same applies to to pets, right? Yeah, I mean, I basically. Uh realized that when I started to look into the pet insurance uh, kind of annual reports, the competitors, I realized that they had kind of problems with a lot of money paying out to claims. So there was this profitability issues that needed to be fixed. But then also, on the other hand, I realized, especially with COVID, there was a lot of people who were first time pet owners who was going right. to the vet a lot, who didn't right. have that knowledge. And also, I mean, just connecting that to my own experiences with everyone has been talking a lot for about human health for a long time. You know, you should think about what you eat, exercise, how you sleep, because then you will live a longer and healthier life. And I mean, it's a no brainer. That's also true for pets. It just has been done less research on it just because you uh, normally have more money to spend on human kind of um, studies and, and these type of research so yeah. and also then I could connect that with I I knew for a fact that we were an outlier in the statistics of how often you go to the vet and the only explanation I could find for this was that I had a mom that I helped me work preventively and could help us take care of the pet because it wasn't even right. that they were sick and she took care of them at home it was actually that they didn't very rarely got sick Right. So that was just a connection with my the data I was seeing in the industry, what was happening on the human healthcare side, but also my own experiences from having my mom. There is a second thing that you mentioned that I think it's it's really important to emphasize that it seems simple, but it's not so simple, right? Which is the component of of building the team, being yep. able to understand uh, how do you find the skills that will complement you. Of course, you have an investment. Uh, background so you have seen multiple teams uh, and you know you have seen some mistakes in terms of founding team formation and I also made some reflections but it, it's it's super simple of course you need to have that technical product and tech especially if you are able to have this kind of CPTO uh, close to you even better like the product and tech components and then you understood that you needed someone that was expert in in this industry so you didn't need to learn everything from for yourself and it will take maybe 10 or 20 years to, to understand how it works. And, and we know that in a VC backed company, we want things to, to happen yeah. fast. So we, yeah. we don't have the luxury of having five to 10 years to learn uh, an industry if we really want to create an 100 million uh, business uh, out of the, of the problem solution. 
of course, having in mind the purpose, we we also need to align the purpose with with the with the rules of the of the VC game, right? So that's yep. that's uh, kind of the why we also decide to go for the VC path or not go for the VC path because maybe the business might not be aligned with uh, with that kind of um, of path. So and and we know that then you know very clearly. I, I need to have those skills to complement me. But then that's another story to be able to find people who might be uh, in the same moment as you are. It might be the right timing for them to start the company. How has been that process? Because I think a lot of people maybe will not find out who do I need to start uh, the company. But then if they are clear as you were, they have a very hard time finding the right people to join them on the journey, right? Yeah, and I mean, that was, I think that was probably the hardest process. We have been very lucky once we found the, this trio, the perfect trio, things have been going like this very, very, very fast. But for me, the hardest part was actually laying the foundation. Because as you said, first, I needed to figure out who do do I need in my team to be be two people, one tech and then me, or should we have uh, uh, one with insurance or should we, you know, bring in consultants for tech and just have me and an insurance person or that I talked nice. long and hard about that, but I, I came to the conclusion that this was the perfect uh, combination. But after that, as you said, I had no network in either tech or <laughs> insurance. So that was super hard. I mean, wow. I don't understand afterwards how I didn't give up because I had I started working on this idea in January and um in August I had funds with the new one and then we were like yes let's go and then things went super fast but it took a long while and I and I since I didn't have any network I did everything from doing cold outreach on LinkedIn but I also right. talked with everyone that I met I was like as soon as I met someone, you know, we got into the conversation of what I was doing and what I was looking for. Then I'm like, do you know anyone in tech or uh, do you know anyone in pet insurance? So I was completely unshy, non-shy and just asking. I booked a lunch with someone who might so know someone in pet insurance just to ask them if, who would be the perfect <laughs> candidate. So so right. eventually that's also how I got to meet Sophie and Yuan because they came from people that I knew or were acquainted with and they recommended them so I think that's a really good way so I think that's a really important thing at least if you're looking to, for co-founders to not be too much in a stealth mode like you need to be able to talk about it to tell right. people that you're looking for this profile because I would never have found Sophie and Johan if I hadn't asked around for them there's no way I don't think I could have found them on LinkedIn it would be because their titles weren't maybe matching to my searchers right. or it's you know it's really hard to also know that someone is interested in starting a startup or even has the interest right. in pets or so I think don't be shy ask around be stubborn I mean I when I got this idea I had had a couple of these ideas before and I you know spent a couple of weeks doing research on them and then for some reason I I figured this is going to be tricky or I'm not the right person. Mm -hmm. But this one it just got stuck in my head. And I was like, I'm going to do this. Wow. I need to do this. <laughs> and, and like, even without the team, I was like, I I've got to find a team. I've got to do it. So I think you also need that mentality. Uh, and also, it's going to be a hard ride doing a startup. So you need to find an idea and a product that clicks with you that way. So you feel that because people's going to tell you it's going to be difficult or you can't do it. So you need to be like almost, I don't know, obsessed with the idea or yeah. super passionate because, I mean, ah, I don't know how many hours and how many coffees right. I spent with, you know, people potentially could be an advisor or team member just asking around. And most of it didn't lead to anywhere, but a few connections really kind of triggered this forward. Yeah, and it's important to highlight again the investment that you made in finding the right team. Again, it will last with you if you are successful for the next five to ten years. 
uh, at least. And, uh, and and definitely you need to, they need to be the right co-founders and you need to have fun with them, uh, share similar yeah. values. And of course, be able to add the skills that we were uh, talking about to be able to to build a company. And, and later on, we know that uh, then we will have a, a leadership team, different versions of, of the leadership team and the founders might be playing uh, different roles, but uh, but definitely, if we don't have the right founding team, we will never get even into that second or uh, no. I mean stage. that's so important, and I, I mean there was times when I was like, I'm just gonna find someone and get started. I just exactly. want to get started. <laughs> like maybe it doesn't need to be the perfect exactly. person, but like at least it's someone, and you know I can raise money. But I'm so glad I waited for the perfect team because. Our team is so good because we have completely different backgrounds. I mean, I can focus a lot on, you know, more strategy, raising money, uh, hiring, nice. um, expansion, that type of thing, maybe marketing a bit. But then Sophie, she has everything covered for pet insurance and you want everything taken product, which means that like right. we don't always need to, we can split up. We don't need to be in the same meetings. We can divide and conquer. Exactly. It's so efficient. And also... We always, when we come into problems, we can look at it from different angles. But what's super important is that even though we're super different, we are kind of wanting to go into the same direction. We have the same view of what the successful company is. Because sometimes if you're too different, it yeah. can also be that you might want to create different things that you actually right. want to, someone wants to do a VC-backed company and someone wants to grow right. over a 20 years time period organically, which is pretty it's different fine. choices yeah. that you need to make both are fine choices but it's exactly. a very different way to run companies so i think that's um yeah that's uh, and also i read i'm sure you read the same that that the most startups at least in the early stage they the reason why they quit is because co-founder problems so i think it's uh, <laughs> <Definitely. laughs> super important super, in many super. different ways and also when raising money i mean we raised our two first rounds we raised without having any product out in the market. So it was basically investors spending off, off that we were the right team. Right. And had a product that fitted the market, of course, but yeah. And, and th there is a great point, right? So there is some discussions that it's good to kind of build the deck with your uh, co-founders. Uh, so in that sense, you are also able to align about the vision that you are pursuing, but sometimes the co-founders also don't have too much experience about uh, fundraising and how to build a deck. So maybe the more the the component of divide and conquer. Uh, so start working on the MVP. Uh, then let's let's unite some efforts. But I will create the baseline for for the deck. Did you build the deck before you met the co-founders and then you review revised the deck, or did you made the deck together for? one or two or three weeks or four weeks, and then you started fundraising. Uh, I know that that's very detailed, but I think for the yeah. ones that are listening, this is super interesting. But that's questions that that comes to mind, right? Yeah, so I come from a background of investing. So for me, when doing research, I just made slides and started a deck because I wanted to, I don't know, for myself, just build a deck and see if it was a compelling story. And that mm -hmm. deck also that I built, Whenever I met the potential co-founder right. or an advisor, then I showed that deck. So yeah. that meant when I I met a lot of people in the beginning who I was also asking for advice and I showed this deck and then they were like, oh, you should talk to that person who could be a, a CTO right. maybe. And then sometimes they were like, also, let me know when you're raising money and when, or let me know when you found the team, because then I want to invest. I wasn't even fundraising, but I got lots of investor interest. So I had the deck ready from an early stage, because even when you're meeting a potential co-founder, that I showed the deck, like they want to see what you want to build and why this is relevant. Right. Uh, or at least that's how I did it. Then, of course, when so I already had the deck, but when Sophie and Yuan was on, then we sat that together and be like, okay, should we change anything? Should we have some more detailed slides on the roadmap when we're going to do? Because I couldn't really have a slide on the roadmap because I didn't know when I was going to find the team. So then we could, right. you know, set a uh, kind of few details. So that's how we've been working. But I think it's different from case to case. If you are three people starting a company from scratch, 
then maybe it's a good exercise to build the deck together because you already know that you're going to be a team then you just need to develop the plan together but here i was kind of i already had idea and need to find a team so i needed to have something to present to them and also that's yeah. how my brain works that i think while doing slides and i also kind of um that's how i kind of collect information um so i think there's different yeah. ways to do it but i think it works in our case it works pretty well that i can take lead on creating the decks fundraise but then of course nice. we align a lot I already know and I mean where we're going to be in a couple of years but then of course we align okay is this the right promises for the next round is germany yeah. should we it be germany of course we held multiple discussions it's not that i sit and create the plan while i do the deck the plan has already been made then it's just about making it clear with the with the deck that's a great combination where we were looking for co-founders who were asking for advice, feedback from industry experts, asking for the co-founders and at the same time asking for advice. You were even offered money uh, to, yep. to start the, the company. It's the, the old saying of ask for advice and people will offer you money and ask for money and people will give you uh, advice. Right? <laughs> That's so true. And I say that to all entrepreneurs that I meet who want fundraising tips that I'm like, go just out and meet people and ask them for advice and, and talk to them about their idea. Then people will let you know if they're interested to invest. Exactly. And also it creates more foam if you're not explicitly saying that you are now we're raising money. Um, it's better if you are um, meeting for some other reason and then they can hear that you have this round coming up and there's so much info you know it's hard to choose who to include in the round and then you know the FOMO kicks in and everyone wants to be part of it that's how the investor community works FOMO is a big thing and you you were also saying that um, sometimes you had other ideas but they didn't stick with you for a long time so you were not able to persevere during the nine months or eight months to to get to know your co-founders and then uh, raise your um, angel rounds. Any any advice on how to get started from, from nothing? I know that a lot of entrepreneurs and all of us have, have some huge, intense fear to start a company. And, uh, and we discussed this a lot that sometimes we need to improve the ratio of women founders and women CEOs that we have in the market. And, and sometimes that that boldness uh, is also important on on the women's side. So I know that you have a background and that you have a kind of a, a mindset that you are much more confident and that you move forward and you make things happen. But uh, how to help others that uh, men or and, and and female that might be on this? Should I go? Shouldn't I go? And I'm super afraid. I'm not sure if if I'm if I'm moving in the right direction. Right. Yeah, I think it's a very important topic and I've been thinking about this is that I think one of the reasons why I ended up creating Lassi was that I had this, I was probably raised or I had it in me that I felt like, of course I'm going to succeed. Like I had this belief in myself that I was going to succeed. So I think it's super important that you raise your kids and in school that you teach them like, don't be too oh it's impossible like <laughs> encourage people to go for it i mean yeah. you learn a lot by failing as well so i think that's super important and so i think it's good and maybe in all teams not everyone needs to be like that there is yeah. i think in all good teams there's someone who's a little bit more bold and then maybe someone who's kind of more have we thought about this have we thought about that that combination could yeah. also be good so if you are someone who's a little bit more laid back and maybe not as bold, then I think it's a good thing to, I mean, while you're looking for your co-founders, it's not only about matching skill set, it's also about matching um, kind of um, personalities. So uh, then you should find someone who is quite bold and wants to go for it, because I think that's important. There are so many companies that are raising money, so you need to go out there and say, we're the best, we're going to be here in in five years if you're like right. uh yes we are okay I don't we know. might be <laughs> don't know it might be worth investing right. in us who's going to want to invest in you no one like right. you need to be bold and out there but not everyone in the team has to be like that i think it's a good combination if someone is a little bit more but we also need to check this data out does it make sense like you cannot run fast just because of it you need to run fast but make kind of clear decision based on data so that's a good combination 
Um, otherwise, I think, I mean, I always thought, I mean, looking back when I'm, I don't know, 95, laying in my deathbed, will I, what will make me most proud that I went for it, but maybe failed, or that I had my job that I was kind of uh, a bit bored with and, and you know, didn't kind of even dare to right. do it. So I always try, maybe I will fail and that's okay, but I mean, I'm still young. I will be able to find in, maybe I will lose some money, but I will have plenty of years to kind of earn that money back. I will regret it if I don't go for it, if it's something right. that I really want to do. That is awesome. So this year we are starting well with uh, a lot of women CEOs on, on the show. And, this oh, is, and and it's cool to see that three of them come from Stockholm. Uh, I'm not sure if oh. Stockholm has something special <laughs> in, in that sense, but uh, yes, a lot of women uh, CEOs coming. Not a lot, but uh, good to, to, to have at least three in, in the first episodes of, of the year uh, and, uh, and the curiosity that all are coming from from Stockholm yeah. and um, and so then you went to to raise the angel round so you you needed until August to find your co-founders and and then how has been the process of raising the the angel round yes yeah, so when I found um Sophie and Yuan and we officially formed the team then I already had lots of uh, investors that I wanted to uh, participate who was basically saying let us know as soon as you found the team. And then, I mean, we'll invest or, you know, if we think the team is good, we'll invest right. something along the line. So um, from there, things were super quick. Um, so we already had, um, we didn't do any cold outreach. We were just talking to the people that we were already talking with. Then they yeah. recommended it to some of their friends and colleagues, awesome. which means that we got some other angels on board. Uh, we we were three or four local, times over. Yeah, local, uh, local angels. Yeah. yeah. Um, because at that point we were only launching in Sweden. So we felt like we wanted to get most help here. Yeah. Uh, which meant that we also had a few VCs who were interested. We were also in an incubator, which means that we were kind of shown, we had the, the kind of demo day or some um, to a few okay. investors as well. Uh, which was, I think the demo day was, the week after we officially had formed as a team. I was part of the incubator myself, wow. but then- Great then, timing. <laughs> yeah, that was a great timing. And that was also a little bit of push. And I'm, I was like, for the demo day, should I include you in the pitch deck or not? Like, exactly. Because we were kind of test working, which is also a good thing to do, I think, too. I mean, you shouldn't just say that you're going to be a team. And great then, advice. so yeah. we were test working for a bit. And then I was like, for so- For For the ones who again. Sophie was actually an advisor first. She um, had promised her husband that she was going to uh, be part of the family business. So she first joined as an advisor. But then as time progressed, uh, she, she, I realized she was very passionate about last this so after. <laughs> well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, just so you know, if you ever change your mind, there's always a spot open for you to be a co-founder. And then she, she actually said yes to that. Um, so for her, it was a couple of months. But for an advisor for you one it was probably i don't know it was one full day and then a few other meetings so so was, and yeah. a dinner so it was, um, it was over a longer period of time um but then that was also kind of a good trigger point for me because i i had this demo day so i was like okay so next week is the demo day i need to submit my pitch you know today or tomorrow yeah. Should I have you in the there exactly. or not? So that's to make, up, make the decision, <laughs> which was also good. Um, but yeah, uh, then we were three to four times oversubscribed. We also had a few VCs who wanted to invest, mm -hmm. but we decided that we wanted to only have angels for the first round. Uh, so things, the process went super quick. We barely spent time raising money the first time uh, because we had, since I had been talking to a lot of people, um, then it went pretty quick. So were you able uh, to disclose the 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 round size in the beginning, or? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. official. I think it's been yeah. in 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 news. It was uh, five million sex, so roughly half a million uh, euros. Got it, and it so it was quite quick. So in kind of in August, you guys got together, and and then it was 
when did you raise the when did you close the round yeah so i think in august end of 2020. august end of august 2020 we formed as a team uh somewhere beginning mid-september we had decided on the allocation and then i think in october all the money was on the account Oh, super quick. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. So it yeah. took the eight. And again, it's important to say that it, during the eight months, you have not only been working on finding the team as a byproduct, you were also able to be working on, on improving the idea, improving the deck, yeah. and at the same time, getting potential investors uh, yeah. out of that process as you were focused yeah. on, on finding the right team to, 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 to join you. Yeah. So that, that's a great point. And, and then comes the, the discussion more about the geographical expansion and we come back then to the seed and the A to put the story all together, uh, which is why starting this company in Sweden? So the timing you have explained before seemed right. Uh, of course, you were based in Sweden. It was it would be make a lot of sense to start, start with Sweden as a pilot market. Uh, and we know that that Sweden is a is is has been one of especially Stockholm um, and and Sweden in general one of the countries with the with the greatest number of unicorns per per capita. So it's it's definitely a lab for innovation, a great place to start a company because this is a global podcast for the ones who didn't know too much about uh, about Sweden. But why Sweden for this opportunity, right? Yeah. So one. Well thing that was important with uh, why we choose Sweden for our first market is that Sweden is actually the most prominent country for pet insurance. Um, pet insurance is most mature in Sweden, which meant that we wanted to test the waters, launch a product in the most difficult market there is, Sweden. And after that, go to the less mature, the growing markets. Um, so that was the whole strategy to first launch in Sweden, test the market, because we know eventually all other countries are going to the same direction as Sweden, since Sweden is a few years ahead. So if awesome. we are um, fine in Sweden, then we will crack all other markets. That was the rationale. Yeah. And then it comes from a Nordic founder. So we kind of have uh, some options, right? We might want to expand across the Nordics, but it will take a lot of time and it's small markets. Then we need to go maybe to Europe or to the US directly. In Europe, we need to go to a big market to be able to, of course, we need to have a, a big 10, right? So, and then we have the, the typical options, Germany, France, the UK, uh, Spain, I'd say less less times uh, Italy from, from my experience, but, why Germany as next step and not the UK or or France or or Spain, right? Yeah. So for a couple of reasons. So we have a license to distribute insurance because that's what we do. We're not a full stack carrier yet. Um, um, so we are partnering with um, uh, insurance partners, and we really like that model because it means that we can uh, expand fast without having a too right. big balance sheet. Um, but then our license is within the European Union. So we knew legally it was going to be less hassle to go to a country in the European Union. So the reason why Germany was top on that list was for multiple reasons. But one was the legal reasons. Two, mm -hmm. also the market size and the growth rate. We were looking a lot on how many pets were living there, how, how people, did they see them as human or like family members. We talk a lot about this humanization of pets trend. Right. So that was really growing in Germany. So the Absolutely. market was growing. Then we saw a really interesting profile in Germany that we felt was a very good fit to our uh, product, which meant that it was a lot of younger people who were getting pet insurance that, that were seeing their pets as family members. And they were also very keen on kind of training and our app offers free training, which meant that we felt like Germany had a very good fit to our product. Also, you have this mandatory uh, dog liability insurance, which also provides a good upsell opportunity. So a couple of different reasons. It was legal aspect, market size and growth rate, but then also fit with kind of the personas, our product fit with the personas. Yeah. 
And it's important to, to get back here to kind of the IP that, again, you emphasize the education component, the preventive component, and also the benefits that if you are taking good care of your pets, if you are consuming uh, information, and if you will be able also to have better uh, insurance policies or insurance uh, conditions in terms of, of the pricing, right? Yeah. Which is also, again, uh, a good Coming back to the beginning, the, the product differentiation, that IP that is super, super important to also put the deck together and be able to raise the initial uh, rounds. And when you decide to move to, to Germany, it's already starting a second market, which is already international expansion. It's a very big uh, move. Did you, did, did you do this uh, at, at seed stage uh, after raising Series A? So, Yeah, actually, I think we had... Um... Um, already after, when we raised the seed round, the promise was that after Germany uh, or after Sweden, we're going to do a Series A and go for Germany. So we, we uh, kept Got that it. done. Got yeah. it. So and maybe now we, we come back to putting all together the more the how to raise money and the scaling up or the fundraising lessons. So we talked about the angel round, the half a million and it was kind of end of 2020. So then how it has evolved to seed and to A, if you want also to share some of the milestones achieved and how it helped you to, to raise the next round and, and getting us understand how you went from August of 2020, finding your co-founders to today. Yeah. So uh, uh, as, we, as I already talked a little bit about, uh, very soon after we found the company officially, that I found the co-founders, we did the angel round, which meant that we could start working on the app and we could make one or two, three hires to kind of start developing the product. Um, we could also apply for the license. You know, we needed some lawyers for that. In the beginning, we worked for uh, free, but then after six months or so, we could take our very first little small salary. Um, but then right. we had quite a lot of that money left, but we knew we wanted to go kind of spend, um, have a good budget for marketing our product. So when we right. had a product ready, when we had signed the insurance deal and everything, we uh -huh. we wanted to do a seed because we wanted to do around just before we were launching to have a good launch. Because insurance is a product that has very good lifetime value, but it also mm -hmm. has somewhat high customer acquisition costs, but the LTV coverage is great, but you need to upfront invest in customer acquisition costs. So if we wanted to grow fast, we knew we want, needed the money uh, before uh, the round to be able to do, or before the launch to be able to do a good round. So then we started to talk to investors. And I think um, early, 2021 uh, and um, I think we signed the, the term sheet or something in in April for um, the seed round which was Over two million yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how we do it <laughs> um, no, but we've been lucky we've been very lucky with fundraising so far we've always been oversubscribed and had to choose between investors rather than having to uh, prolong it or make the round smaller or something like that. But um, we had then in venture uh, leading the round with Passion Capital um, being um, kind of a, a co-lead. Um, and uh, yeah, I think then I can't remember exactly when the money was on the account, but we launched the best beta launch was in June and the, commercial launch was in July so the money was in the account way before that so we had the then we could hire some more people and uh, also uh, launch officially and successfully in Sweden and mm -hmm. then we were growing like crazy in Sweden during this autumn which meant mm -hmm. that in January 2022 or maybe January February we started to raise the series A round mm -hmm. uh, and then end of February beginning of March I think just when the war broke out, then we signed the term sheet for Good timing again. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you, you, you need to give a masterclass on on. <laughs> we should have made all the episode about how to handle timing. <laughs> <laughs> well, some things you don't control, so sometimes you just need to have a, a bit of luck. Um. So yeah, we um signed the term sheet just uh, when the war was coming. I think it was 
end of February, beginning of March. Yep. And then had the money on the account, I think in April after some due diligence. Uh, and then it was all go Germany now. And now we have launched in Germany. Yeah. I think that's awesome. uh, the, the story so far. That's, that's an amazing story and everything's super quick and very well done. Almost by the book, every single thing that, that you did, that's a, a great case study and for for the ones who are thinking about starting their own companies or are in their journeys yeah but i must say i think the reason i think we've been lucky uh we had a great product with a a great team and a great timing with covid lots of people got dogs and so forth but i also had a lot of advisors so i worked in the investment space but i worked on the private equity side so it wasn't exactly the same but I knew right. a few people, few people who were VC investors. So I right. got, you know, some help. They we could practice pitch with them. They looked through the pitch deck. That's great. I got help on, you know, how to run a good process with investors. So I think it's always a good idea to get an advisor or one of the angel investors to be quite professional in the VC space because if you're raising VC money, it's always good. The first time you don't even know how the process will look like. You're like, okay, uh, you know, how do right. I run this? Uh, I knew the private equity process, which is not ex- similar, of course, but it's, it's a difference also since you acquire the majority versus minority and, and uh, yeah. other different sides of it. So I think it's uh, it's good to have some sounding boards, either you talk to other startup founders, but also investors and then for the CSA you of course have your existing investors who can help you guide you through that process and do intros and so forth and again the process can be overwhelming and especially when it starts to last three and four and you don't have the first uh commitment Uh, it it, from an emotional perspective it, it can be super super hard especially if you are every single day with meetings almost back to back, always iterating on on the deck, and yeah. uh, and also as a CEO having your co-founders asking how things are going, and uh, you might not have very good news uh, from time <laughs> to time to share with them. Yeah, and maybe they also start thinking, oh, maybe we have something wrong with the problem solution. So it was yeah. super good that you were able to make it quite uh, fast to not even create space for those doubts to start popping up and undermining the confidence uh, of the team because sometimes even the CEO can be quite confident and quite strong emotionally, but uh, it, it's always difficult to to manage all the fears and all the emotions of, of the team, right? Yeah, I mean, even if we've been super successful with raising money, you, of course, still get a few no's and then, I mean, it still affects you. So it's yeah. it's good to keep the process short. And, sure and with the expectations, right? So yeah. sorry to interrupt. There's some some investors that really really want on your cap table that you are thinking, well, oh, this is the right the people that I that we need here, and we will bet a lot on on this direction. And then you you take a lot of time to have a meeting with them, and they show no interest at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. At least for me, it affected my. We're all yeah. sometimes when that happens. <laughs> and I think one thing that's good is actually if you have a dream investors, don't start talking with them first. Warm up okay. because you're like, you're going to be a little bit rusty. Like you you want to be able to have a few questions and someone else to grill you before you meet your dream investor. If you have one, sometimes you go into a process and you don't really have a no. preferred investor. Exactly. But if you have a few that you feel like they have a great so, for example, we really felt that with Felix, we that was our Series A investor. They were having a strong consumer brand focus. They had kind of similar companies in the portfolio. And I'm glad that wasn't our first meeting because the first meeting is always um, you are not as confident or not as clear in your story or pitch line. Exactly. You're always getting a little bit better towards the end. And time flies, so we need to get into the last segment of the yeah. show. But before, I still wanted to go quickly into the team uh, component. What is the ad count today, Ed, with with Lassie? Oh, I always oh, uh, we're kind it's, of it's always being so, updated, right? <laughs> it's always being updated. We are but we are around <laughs> uh, we are around twenty people today. Right, and and. That's that's a great thing, and we discussed it about this, and I'm seeing this trend more and more happening. Is sometimes at Series A we saw in the past 
teams getting closer to you know at least 50 and and sometimes even 100 i've seen companies at, at series a with 100 people in headcount i think that today uh, teams are much more frugal understand that adding too much headcount sometimes also works against them because they are not able to have everyone on the same um aligned or on the same page uh and and also adding too much headcount too early it, it is very dangerous for the alignment and for the growth of of the company and becomes unproduct unproductive and not pro not productive that's what i want to say yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, any lessons here on the importance of being frugal and maybe investing more on a good combination of senior and junior people at the initial stages uh, of the company instead of just hiring, hiring, hiring and uh, hiring 50 people already at, at Series A. Yeah, that's been something that we've been talking a lot about and it's been a very kind of upfront and outspoken strategy of ours to be frugal with hiring and hire superstars and senior people because whenever you just throw in a bunch of junior people at the same time they of course need a lot of coaching and and you can of course do a lot of things but if you don't do the right things it doesn't lead to a lot of progress so our strategy has always been to have fewer people but more senior people who can get a lot of things done who can be self-starters because I or Sophie or you don't have time to sit in all meetings and and and, right. and talk about the strategy. We need people to who can pick it up and run with it and, and check back with us, of course, but then who can make a lot of their own decisions and and be very independent. So that's been a very kind of mindful strategy of ours, actually. Yeah. Kind of do and I think it's very fitting also with this macroeconomics we're seeing right now is that you exactly. need to um last longer on your uh, fundraise uh, and, and burn less exactly and it's kind of applying the same culture that you have applied to your founding team being able to have people that are able to be masters of their own areas and then you guys just align but they are able to be empowered and do things uh, yeah. make things happen on their own and not be too dependent uh on on each other to to make to make things happen right but yeah, of course, yeah, still true. getting aligned and interdependent of because course. we we can't work in silos. But uh, that that's a different story. When we need to have a lot of meetings, always to understand what we need to go yeah. next, instead of just having touch base to say, "Yeah, I'm going in this direction. You are going in that direction. We might have a gap here. How do we align?" And and then let's make things happen and to get back next week to yeah. realign again on on how things are progressing. Right. Yeah very different story okay let's go to the last uh, segment of the show uh where i ask you a quick question and give me a, a brief answer please uh Edda. Yeah. So if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself at the beginning of edda in august uh, beginning of edda, lassie uh, uh in in the end of august of 20 what advice would you offer to your younger self i would say um go big uh you know there to take risks because um i'm really happy that i did it but it wasn't it was for a while that i was thinking about you know i'm gonna have this more corporate career slowly so i'm really happy i that's the best decision i ever made to take risks but i'm also would like to say maybe it's boring and counterproductive but i would also say like spend if you go to university or something spend like at least two or three years to do something good with your CV because it's always good to have something to fall back on. I'm I'm super happy that I have like McKinsey and EQT on my CV because it's been easier to raise money. But also I I never felt scared that it's blasted, not going to work, that, you know, I'm going to be without a job. I always feel like there's going to be some opportunity for me. So I think it's always, if you want to kind of be able to, I think it's good to feel like you can take a lot of risks because you feel like, you know you a baseline to come you have back a baseline to. to come back to and also it's also going to help you if you raise money for example and it gives you more credibility in discussions so i think Absolutely. if you've had a job where people know that you need to pass a few tests and you're like then they know that she's probably pretty smart or she's not too bad uh, so i think that gives credibility as well and what are you the most proud on your journey so far 
I'm actually the most proud uh, that I went through with it because, you know, starting in January, looking back, I don't understand how I kept looking for people for such a long time. Like <laughs> looking back, I'm like, I, why didn't I just awesome. get a job and did something else? But I don't know, I was obsessed and I'm really happy that I went through with it. But looking back, it's pretty crazy that I did. And worst, but you need to be a little bit crazier to to start a company as well. <laughs> worst advice ever received, Ada? Um, well, I got one advice in the beginning that since I was a female CEO, that maybe I needed to talk to other types of investors. Maybe we shouldn't go for the traditional VC route. Um, I think I understand that that advice came from a good place. It was, yeah. it, they didn't want me to be disappointed, but also I feel like. I need to be pumped up to go into discussions. If I start thinking I can't do it, then I'm not going to be able to do it. So I think it's exactly. counterproductive advice. And finally, the resources. Your favorite book, business or non-business, you decide. I actually don't have a favorite book. Um, I, I, um, I can't really read when I'm working because I get I, I get um, very involved in my books, so then I end up reading the whole night. So I try to stay away from books uh, or too good books when I'm working. But for startup books, I, I like Zero to One, um, for example. Uh, other kind of books, I really liked A Little Life, which I read quite recently, but I don't really have a favorite book, though. It's dependent on mood and what I'm looking for. Favorite movie or series or recommended? <laughs> yeah, here I also go through different phases, but one recent I saw was Dakota. Mm -hmm. That I really like. Got it. And finally, the your favorite podcast, excluding this one. Uh, well, I I love uh, listening to kind of true crime podcasts. So everything from like serial to documentaries <laughs> about different unsolved murders uh, unless i'm looking if i'm like listening to business um but if i really want to kind of take some time off and don't yeah. think about because sometimes i feel like i Absolutely. can't just listen to startup startup podcasts yes. and, because all my dates are startup yeah. anyway so you just you need a break yeah. yeah, you need to recharge. Then I love watching or listening to true crime or uh, mysteries uh, documentaries. Love it. Great, great ideas and great yeah. recommendations and additions to the list. And it has been a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, and you are always invited to come back to share the next chapters of your journey. Uh, all the best. Thank you so much. You. I look forward to doing that. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. See you soon and keep scaling.